Hey friends, welcome to Girls' Night. I'm Stephanie Mae Wilson, and I am so happy that you're here. Each week, I have a girlfriend over, and we talk through one of the biggest questions we have about our lives as women. We're talking about friendships and faith and relationships and self-confidence, about our calling in life and how to live every bit of our lives to the absolute full. Life is so much better and easier and absolutely more fun when we navigate it together as girlfriends, and I cannot wait to get started. Our guest for today's episode is my new friend, Jen Hatmaker. Now, you guys, I have to tell you, Jen is one of my all-time favorite authors, and so I have absolutely zero chill about her being on the show today. I am thrilled and honored to have her, and I cannot wait for y'all to meet her. Jen recently released a new book that has been speaking to my heart so much lately. It's called Fierce, Free, and Full of Fire, The Guide to Being Glorious You, and that's what we're going to be talking about in this episode. We're talking about how to uncover who God created us to be, and then how to live life as our true selves, boldly and confidently. Guys, this episode is so good. Jen has so much wisdom to share with us. I was taking notes the entire time. One thing that Jen and I talked about that I wanted to make sure to mention is what to do when who we are or what we believe bumps into the expectations or beliefs of those around us. We are having some big, important conversations in our country right now. And I know that a lot of us have found ourselves having hard conversations with family members, friends, people we know on social media and at church. It's really important to have these hard conversations, but it becomes tricky and even heartbreaking when you find out that you totally and completely disagree with someone like your dad, or when you realize that the way your church has always done things just doesn't line up with something that's really important to you. So what do we do in those situations? Do we back down? Do we give up? Do we stand our ground? Do we have the conversation or do we sweep the issue under the rug? How do we love someone we really disagree with or someone who really disagrees with us? This is a hard thing, and that's why I wanted to make sure to ask Jen about it. Jen walks us through how to talk to the people we love about things that are important and what to do when we find out we're not on the same page. Her advice was so helpful to me, and I know it will be for you too. I'm so excited about this episode. Okay, but before we dive in, I wanted to make sure you've heard my big news. Okay, the big news other than the fact that I'm pregnant with twins. This big news is that I have a brand new prayer journal coming out this August, and you guys, I am so excited about it. It's called The Between Places, 100 Days to Trusting God When You Don't Know What's Next. Now, here's the thing. We all find ourselves in between places throughout our lives. Maybe you're dating someone right now, and you're wondering if he's the one. Maybe you've worked in the same career for several years now, which has left you absolutely sure that this is not what you want to do for the rest of your life. Which, of course, brings up the question, what do you want to do for the rest of your life? Or maybe you're thinking about your future family. You're wondering if you're ready to have a baby, or maybe you're trying to get pregnant, but it's been a lot harder than you thought it would be. This prayer journal is for those moments in life, those times where your future feels really uncertain, when you're waiting for something, longing for something, or working for something, but it just isn't happening. It's for those times when you know where you want to go, but you have no clue how to get there, and those times when you have no clue where you want to go, and the process of trying to figure it out has you twisted up in anxious knots. This is a book about how to trust God with your future. This prayer journal is so special and so important to me because I wrote it as Carl and I were trudging down this long road of infertility over the last few years. And my prayer is that as you work your way through it, you find what I've found all over again in this season, that no matter how uncertain life looks, we serve a very certain God. No matter how bad our circumstances feel, God is always good. We can always trust Him, and He always brings beauty up from ashes. Guys, I'm praying that through the 100 days of this journal, God fills you with peace for your future. I'm praying that with that peace, you're able to truly savor the present He has you in today. And I'm praying that through this prayer journal, He equips you to come back to that place of peace 
whenever the next uncertainty crops up. The Between Places will be coming out in August, and I'm going to be sharing lots more about it in the upcoming weeks. Guys, I'm so excited to get this prayer journal into your hands. Okay, now without any further ado, let's hop into my episode with Jen. Guys, I am so excited for who I have here with me today. I'm sitting here with my new friend, Jen Hatmaker. Jen, thank you so much for being on the show. My pleasure. I'm so happy to meet you. Thanks for having me. So you guys, I have to tell you, Jen has been one of my favorite authors for my whole Christian life, truly. And Jen, I wanted to tell you just, you know, as we're here on a show called Girls Night and as we're being in life together as women that I told you just briefly that I became a Christian kind of late in my life. And so I've had lots of wonderful mentors throughout my life, but not as many Christian mentors along the way, like older sisters, as I wish I did. And I feel like through your podcast and through your books and through social media, I have learned so much from you. And you have been just this really incredible big sister to me. And so um, Mm. I, I love that your book is about being fully you because I feel like through you going through this, I feel the permission to show up in the world and as a Christian woman like fully me. And so Mm -hmm. much of that has to do with you blazing the trail. And so I just, I had to tell you that. Um, So I'm just, I'm truly honored to have you here. What a nice thing to say. Thank you for telling me that. That means so much to me. Um, And I take that really seriously. And so I just am delighted that I have been a little part of your adult journey that thrills me to death. Well, it's very true. And so I'm so excited to get to introduce the women to you. I'm like, you guys are going to love each other. (laughs) Get ready. (laughs) So Jen, for the women who don't already know you, can you tell us who you are, what you do, and a fun fact about yourself, which I'm very excited for. So I'm Jen, and I live right outside Austin, Texas with my huge family. We have five kids. My husband, Brandon, and I have been married for 26 years, and our oldest three kids, I just had out of my body, like the way that you have a baby. And then our youngest two kids are adopted. They are both Ethiopian. And so we've got two in college, two in high school, one in middle. That's our life. Um, I am a writer and I am a teacher and a speaker and a podcaster. And it's just my work. It's just my, my work to serve women well and to raise women who are strong and beautiful. And uh, I never thought I would be doing this. I was a fourth grade teacher. And so this was not my original path. I had no idea this could even be a job. We didn't even have the internet. So, um, (laughs) so now I just find myself in incredible territory that I am so grateful for. And I love what I do and I love who I serve. So a fun fact about me, and I've just got this, this just like locked into my brain is that I still use an AOL email address and I don't use it ironically. It was my first email address I ever had and it is still my email address. And every time I have to say it to somebody and what's your email, the amount of shame that I feel is so high, but I can't bring myself to change it. It's the only one I have ever used. And so anyway, you just find me over here on the AOL, like keeping it afloat. 
I also, you and I are on video. Everybody else is going to just hear it, but I'm going to hold this up so you can see it. I use a paper calendar, which is very on brand for the AOL user. Like I don't, my husband's like, please use the iCalendar, the Mm -hmm. shared iCalendar and color code it. I'm like, why would I, when I can write with a pen on paper in my paper calendar? So in other words, what I'm trying to tell you is I'm 90 years old. Okay. Well, okay. To be fair, you just held up a really beautiful Emily Lay simplified planner, which I also use and I'm obsessed with them. But my husband, my husband, you know, loves Emily Lay. No shame to Emily. He hates that. I won't put my things in our shared calendar always. He's like, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know about that because you didn't put it in our really easy to use shared calendar that I've explained to you a hundred times. I know that tone. Yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess I would have known about that had you typed it with your fingers in our iCalendar, but as it was, it was just buried in your paper calendar. So I guess I just didn't know. I'm like, oh, yeah. well, that's hard. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry for hard. you. Um, also, so I, I love that you use an AOL email address still. Okay. I don't use my first one anymore, but it's one of my favorite, like, I don't know. I just feel like it just needs to be known. Like my first screen name, it was Hotmail because for some reason we weren't cool enough to have AOL. It was yeah. wanted Hotmail it. Hotmail was just next. It was just, it was just, just, it was just it's next. almost as um, bad as AOL. Yeah, almost as bad as AOL. And my, oh, so I applied to college with this. Okay. Like sent very official college documents using this email address. Okay. Skater Baby 2000. S K T R. Because I'm not like a cool skateboarder. I can't stand Uh up on a skateboarder or on a skateboard. Uh, I was a figure skater for a year. That one year. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) In middle school. That one year. That one year. It was enough for a Hotmail handle. Yep. Tell you that. Never had me. Yep. And so these like wonderful colleges like either accepted me or rejected me with Skater Baby uh, 2000. Just, I honor that. I do. Bless it. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. So Jen, you, uh, first of all, I want to tell everyone, if you guys are looking for something to read these days, which I think everyone is, please go pick up every one of Jen's books. Just all of them. Uh, for the Love will make you laugh out loud and cry all in the same breath and same with of mess and moxie love them um if you just need to feel like you have the funniest girlfriend in your whole life like sitting at your table go read those books but jen i'm loving your new book it's called fierce free and full of fire the guide to being glorious you and i know that when we write a book it's usually because there's been a lot of hard work done in our own lives leading up to it and so i would love to hear like can you kind of tell us the the backstory of like what happened in your life that led you to writing this book? Yeah. Thank you. First of all, for saying that about my books and, and my writing, that's so kind. Yeah. Fierce is, um, this is a, the book of my adult life. I'm 45. I'll be 46 this summer. Um, my friend, Sarah Bessie, I don't know if you follow her. You absolutely should. If you don't, she told me, she read it early. And she, she texted me and she said, Jen, you earned this book. This is the one you earned. And I'm like, yes, it made me burst into tears because I, I hadn't thought of it kind of in those terms, but this is the book that I lived and I learned and I earned. And so it is full of my own. It's not a memoir, by the way, it's more like a roadmap. It is chock full of tools for the women in my community, my readers, to figure out what freedom looks like in their life. But deeply embedded in it is my, my story toward being a hundred percent free. Like what it means to be absolutely true. Like one version of me 
in every room that I'm in, not several different fractured versions, depending on what the room wanted, um, but rather literally who am I? So this is not a book about self-help. I don't actually like those. Those make me feel tired. I feel exhausted, <laughs> like I need a nap. And I'm like, I just paid $14 to feel ashamed. Um, this is not a self-help book. It is like self-discovery. Like, who are you already? Who were you always meant to be? How will you thrive on this earth? In what ways are you going to flourish? What are you meant to be, say, and do? And so this is my story of getting to that place in my life. And it took me this long. And mm -hmm. so I'm so excited. I'm not kidding. I love to put it in the hands of women your age because I have said before, and I mean this sincerely, 100% this is the book that I needed five years ago. I, I wrote down everything I needed as I was grappling my way into liberation, but a million percent, I wish I would have read it when I was 20 mm. and did not have to unravel and dismantle so many things that I built on a faulty foundation and then even try to reimagine it here in my forties. Um, and so I love to have young readers, let me put this in your hands and, and help you help empower you to live free and true right this minute. Please do not wait until you're 45 to figure it out. Oh, I, I love that. I love that. Um, why? I, I'm so excited to hear you have to say about this because I mean, there's, I know there are a million reasons, but like, why is this so hard? Why is it yeah. so hard for us to get to know ourselves? And then even when we do know ourselves or some of, some of ourselves, why is it so hard for us to like show up as ourselves? What's totally. going on here? Yeah, this is not a mystery. Like most girls and women, most girls were handed this template of what it meant to be a good girl early, early, early. Like I was not out of first grade when I knew, oh, this is what good girls sound like. Um, this is how they act. This is what they talk about. This is what they don't talk about. Um, this is how much power they are able to show in a room and how much they're not. I knew a hundred percent this is what girls are supposed to look like. Like I could look at my peers and know these faces and bodies are going to be rewarded. These are going to be punished. You know, we knew it. It was handed to us. There was this very like conventional expectation put on girls. And then what happened is we just grew up and we grew up in that. And they were so rarely challenged or when, when we did challenge some of those paradigms, they were, we were punished for it. Um, you know, there's a very much a set of rules in place, um, both spoken and unspoken of how we are expected to behave and what we are expected to maintain in any given environment. And so it's not even our fault. It's just that we were handed a pretty clear message and we received it. That's why it's hard. That's why it's hard. And there were so many voices saying the same thing. And so, you know, we got, we became adults and so many of those places were rubbing because no, women don't fit one mold. It's ridiculous. And so those started rubbing and that's where the tension began. And so that to me is where I started noticing in my life that I was choosing, this is a, the word that I use, like disintegration, meaning that parts of me were no longer integrated. I was unable to be one whole person. And so as a, as a result, what I chose to do is I would walk into one environment and be like, okay, because women can do this, read the room and give it what it wants, right? That's our skill set. 
Yes. And so I'd walk into the room and be like, what does this room want for me and need for me? And so I would pull out the parts of me that were going to be rewarded in that environment. And I know what they are. We all do. We know what our little subgroups want of us. Um, and so when I say a subgroup, um, for me, like particularly some of this had to do with my place located inside evangelical women's subculture. Um, but that doesn't have to be your story to understand subgroups. So we all know what our little group norms are. So maybe that's your family, like your extended family. It could be your corporate culture, your, your sort of your, your industry. Every industry has specific rules for women. Yep and places and roles. And it could be your faith community, like what's expected of you in your particular limb of the tree. Or it could even be geography. You know, I have women write to me all the time and say, Jen, I am this weird progressive thinker and I live in the deep South. I'm the only one here. Help me. (laughs) You know, so sometimes (laughs) where we live has group norms, just our, our region. So everybody can understand that. So I was in that room going, what do you want for me? And I knew that's my first, that's my first language. That's my native tongue. I grew (laughs) up there. And so I figured out which parts I needed to hide and keep silent and repress and push down big questions. I was having um, pieces of my like spiritual curiosity places where I'm like, I don't think I believe that in that way. Um, but that those would be punished. And so I, I disintegrated and I picked pieces and I put them over there and I succeeded. I knew that stuff works. I was very rewarded behavior. But the thing is, in any subgroup, whatever, whatever yours is, what we get when we follow the rules and we hit the marks and we do the thing that's expected of us is we are rewarded with belonging. We get to be a part. We get to stay. We get to have community. But that is the very first thing that's going to be revoked when we step out of line. Belonging is the first way that we are punished. You do not get to be here anymore. You are not with us. Um, We are separate from you. And so that was my experience. And I think that's experience of a lot of women. And fierce is everything I learned about having the courage to stand up in my own skin, in my own convictions, in my own needs and wants and desires and identity. Walk through the fire and come out on the other side free. That's what this is. That's the story. That's the tweet. I like can't decide if I have goosebumps or want to cry. It's like sort of both. I have a billion more questions, but what like what's at stake here? Like, yeah. I mean, belonging is a really powerful reward and, yes, and a is. really hard one to give up. And so yes. so but what's at stake here? Like if we yes, if we hold question. on to belonging at the ri- like and keep ourselves small or silent or whatever like what are what's what are we losing and what is the world losing? I love that you're asking that and that's what matters. That is at the heart of this because I know that women can sit there and think, "Oh, I'm not willing to risk it. It's the cost is too high." You know, if I if I showed up true in my own life, if I stopped pretending, if I stopped faking, if I stopped if I decided to lay down my own silence or my own complicity, if I told the truth about what's really going on, like either in my heart, in my relationship, um, in my mind, in my soul, I am unwilling to pay the price. It would create too much turbulence, right? In my, all the little, all the little systems that I keep afloat with the way that I am right now. But here's the problem. I understand that. I, I built a whole career like that. It was flourishing. I was a darling 
And so I knew I had a lot to lose and it went way belong. It, belonging, as it turns out, was the most painful. But for me, it was also financially punitive. It was a, it was a career like record scratch. Um, it was a lot. It had affected our church, our family, everything. And so, um, but here is the thing. When you say what's at stake, that's the question that matters because here was what was at stake for me. Um, I was, you know, while I was performing in that space, just to maintain what I had, it was entirely self-preservation because I had so much tension with the, with the, the rules and the tenets and the agreed upon set of standards that I was having to live under. I had big questions. I had big doubts. I was, I had, I had big ideas. I was, I, I had a lot, uh, there were so many places rubbing. And so ultimately what was at stake was this. I got to the point where my convictions and my tension was so high that I realized I am either going to get to hang on to my career as I know it, this life that I've built as I know it, undisturbed, unperturbed, and I know how to do it. I could have done it for 30 more years. Or I'm going to get my integrity. And I, but I cannot have both because they are at odds because I am lying. I am pretending. I have all these ideas um, that I am trying out over here in this little back private room with a handful of safe people. And this is the true me. This is the real me. And so what's at stake is our own integrity. And I mean that. This is not um, small. I hope women don't hear that and go, oh, I don't care. I can live without that. No, we can't. We cannot live without our own integrity because what that means is that we are committed to a life of absolute disintegration. We are not free. We are not allowed to tell the truth. Um, We are not allowed to face what is real and genuine and sincere. And thus, we are going to show up absolutely half-baked in the world, inside our relationships, our, our, our faith communities, our churches, our neighborhoods, our careers, in all the roles that we play. And the cost is too high. The cost is too high. And so here's what I always say, because this is the truth. Women so many times choose silence or disintegration because it feels safer because you don't, it won't create any chaos. It's just, it's just like keep bobbing along the waters. Um, And so, but the truth is there's a cost to that too. And so we are paying the cost. So in order to like minimize the cost to everybody around us, we pay it. And so this is how I see it. We're going to pay one way or another. So we're either going to pay to be small and less and half and partial and silent and sad. We're going to pay for that. Hmm. (laughs) We're going to pay to be free. Either way, there's a cost. So which way do we want to go? And here's what I contend. Thank you for just letting me blather. You're the first person I've talked to today and I have a lot of ideas apparently. Oh my Um, gosh. Keep going. Keep going. Yes. Yes. Here's the truth. If we are willing to walk our lives through this tunnel of truth, and this is what I mean by truth, like we're no longer going to say what we don't mean. We're not going to say yes when we mean no. Um, We're not going to pretend. We are going to fully have agency and ownership over our ideas and our convictions and our relationships, our boundaries, our big audacious dreams, our our hopes, our relationships. We are we own it. We get permission to have agency. If we choose to do that and tell the truth inside all of that, truth will indeed create a little tunnel of chaos, right? So I know some people are listening and they're probably like, no, 
Mm-mm. Um, because some truth is really hard to say, like some truth that is eating up our integrity is like addiction or I'm having an affair or I want to, or this is what my relationship, I'm, this is what I'm showing you, but this is what's actually happening behind the scenes or so, truth is hard sometimes. It's not all easy. It's not all a simple thing to say. And so we just think, no, I can't, I cannot say what's real, but Truth is literally our only path to freedom. There is no route around. I have tried. Um, And so even when it is hard, even when it's humiliating, even when it's terrifying, even when it's going to take something down back to the studs and have to rebuild it, it is the only way to live free. That's it. Because on the other side of it, here we are. True. Here we are. Honest. I'm not hiding anymore. I'm not lying anymore. Um, I'm not shape-shifting all the time. I'm not afraid. Um, I have faced what's real, said it out loud, dealt with it head on, owned my own life, and now I get to live it. Like It is a reward. It is absolutely a reward to live like that. It's worth it. It's worth the cost. It's so, like, it's interesting because, I mean, I love how you said you're either paying for, like, captivity, basically, or yep. you're paying for freedom. And it's like, okay, one of those like just doesn't feel worth, like is it, it just, I mean, one of those is a, a good thing to pay for. And one of them is like, you're getting a pile of trash. Yes. But the, the other thing is like the duration of the payments. Like if you're hiding, you're paying a little bit, every, like you're in debt forever. You're paying a little bit every month forever. Whereas like you may be giving up all of your savings all at once, but like, it's kind of, it's ripping the bandaid off. You don't have to deal with that forever. And I love that. I just like one of those, I mean, one of them sounds harder than the other, but I think that if you were to add up all the hardness and put it in a pile, you would see that the, the ripping the bandaid off and just facing it, the, that hardness, while it's, it may hurt, like, mm, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. More like a stab to the heart, but it but then it heals instead of like yeah. just this like scratching for the rest of your life. That's so good. What a great analogy when you think about the payment plan. Ugh. One of them is indefinite and the interest is so high you never pay it off. Yep. So you'll pay every month the rest of your life. And the other one, you get to the end of it and you are free. Um, I had a friend, I don't know if you ever read her work, my friend Rachel Held Evans, she died about a year ago. She's just a really incredible spiritual leader. And she was a mentor to me in this path toward um, truth and, and integrity. And I was in a season about a little bit over four years ago where I, um, I had put my stake in the ground. I had counted the cost and I was prepared to pay it because um, I, the, the monthly payment was too high for me. I couldn't pay it anymore. Couldn't pay that high interest rate. Couldn't, couldn't pay for the disintegration, chose integrity and predictably. And as I knew it would, my career was on fire. (laughs) It was burning in ashes and everything was happening. My books were pulled off shelves out of print, not just off shelves, out of print. It was just really devastating. And Rachel called me right smack in the middle of that. She called me from an airport and she said, Jen, I want to tell you something right now that you're not going to be able to believe yet, but I'm going to tell you, and then you can believe me. And she said, right now, everything is just absolutely on fire. Everybody is screaming. You are at the center of a firestorm and it feels so scary and so white hot. But she goes, I want to, I want to tell you something. 
you will rebuild. You don't know it yet because it's too, you're not there. You haven't even been able to take what she, she will rebuild. You will build the most beautiful life with the most incredible community. That will come for you. But she said, even before it does, she said, I want you to know that right where you are, your integrity is doing the right thing is its own comfort and its own reward. And she said, it's enough. She goes, yes, you will rebuild. You'll see. She was so right. You'll see. But she said, if you can just hang on to, to your own integrity, let it comfort you that you are strong, that you stood in your own conviction. You are able to manage this. You will live. You are going to live. It, those flames will not burn you up. And I was like, okay, are you sure? Because like, I am on fire. They're really um, hot. They're really, really hot. hot. <laughs> and she was so right. And so I, what I would love for your listeners to know, if they're just like, mm, 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 mm. the other side of this work is priceless, like incredibly beautiful. I, my life feels so expansive right now. So here's the weird thing that I just didn't even know. Walking through the thing that I was most afraid to walk through because I knew the cost. I knew what it was going to cost me and I was afraid to pay it. Uh, I, I Facing the absolute fear of that had the weirdest side effect of purging me of fear. So the very thing that kept me away from the work is now the thing I no longer suffer from. Because you realize you can, you can do this. You can do it. You should do it. You have permission to have liberation in your own life. You have permission to own your own space. And then you don't die. Shockingly, you live. And then you're like, oh, what am I? There's nothing to be afraid of anymore. I can walk through anything. And so anyhow, it is worth it. Yes, it will. It will there is that tunnel of chaos. I don't want to minimize it. That's true. It is true. Yeah. But again, it's one lump sum or it's the monthly payments for the rest of your life. You know, which way do you want to go? Jen, how do you like, I feel like some of the women who are listening right now are going, okay, I know what my thing is. Like, I know yeah. what I need to speak up about. Yeah. I know what I need to like, I know what I need to do. But then there are other women who are like, I don't know what I, Yeah. I don't know who I am. And like, I yeah. don't know what I believe in strongly enough to, to light my whole life on fire for it. You know, and what does some always look like that? That's not always, that's my story. And that's kind of woven in there, but so the way I organized fears um, was around five huge ideas where I noticed these are places that I tend to pretend. Mm-hmm. I tend to hide or self-preserve a bit. Um, and I definitely noticed it in my community. So these were shared pain points of places where we're like, I have more inside of me on this, but I'm afraid to let that inside part live on the outside part. And it's not always like a big career sea change like mine. So the big five ideas are, this is who I am. So we do deep identity work. This is how I'm formed. This is how I flourish on the earth. This is my personality. Um, and it's not always to be bigger, right? That's not the, I'm not trying. I know this is a very powerful title, like fierce, free and full of fire, very (laughs) bold, but my, my aim is not just to create an army of women who are all being louder because some of us aren't created like that. We're created to be tender. We're gentle. We're behind the scenes people. So I don't want women to just be bigger. I want women to be who they are. Like, don't be more, be you. And so it's who I am deeply. Well, I'll, I'll walk you through that work. Um, who I am, 
this is what I need. We're weirdly weird about saying what we need. Yes. Um, we struggle with yes. being honest about that. This is what I want. And that is a, such a fun section. It's like, these are some little dreams I have. These are big ideas I'd love to explore. This is innovation I'd like to put my hand to. I love that part. Um, this is, you know, this is what I want to say yes to. This is what I want to say no to. Help me say no. How do I learn to say no? I got a whole chapter on that. Perfect. So this is who I am. <laughs> this is what I need. This is what I want. I have a section on this is what I believe. Um, these are my convictions. I have spiritual curiosity. Um, how can I be an advocate? That part is, ooh, that part, well, it's a that's a preacher section. And then the last one is this is how I connect. And I saved that one for last because our relationships, like they have the potential to bring us the most joy and the most pain. Oh, yes. Um, and so we really unpack what does it look like to be true and healthy inside our relationships? How do we have hard conversations? How do we say what we mean? How do we stop being passive aggressive? Um, how do we apply boundaries to dysfunctional relationships so that they can thrive? So it's not always like a gin hat maker model where you sort of have this very public reckoning and have a huge, you know, 180. That's not always true at all. Sometimes it's small. It's inside one relationship or it's inside one idea that we just decide to say yes to. And um, it can look a million different ways for, for my readers. I told them at the beginning that my thesis is that every reader will need some of the chapters in a major way. Like it will be like pressing on a bruise. Some of the chapters in a medium way, like I'm not great, but I'm not terrible. So it will be instructive and useful. And some probably not at all. That you'll yeah. read it and be like, oh, no, I'm pretty healthy here. Like, I've got this one on the on the rails. Yeah. And then my huge aim for the book is that if my, I'd love to find out that one of my fierce readers picks it back up in two or three years and can't read some of their notes in the margins and can't hardly remember how scared they felt or how lonely they felt at that moment, that they, yeah. they're free, that they did the work and they got to the other side of it. So what I really hope, my biggest dream for fierce is that it becomes obsolete, that we don't need it at all that nobody needs it um and so I, i i hope i think it'll meet women wherever they are in whatever big medium or small way that they need to have a little of a big sister's hand to say you can do this you can yeah. do this and you deserve to do this shout out to claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples Friends, springtime is finally here, but that also means allergy season is in full swing. I have always struggled with allergies and I don't know about you, but I am especially allergic to cats. More on that in a second. Well, luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. The time that I use Claritin the absolute most is when I'm at my parents' house, my childhood home. They have this absolutely beautiful cat that they love and I like, except for the fact that he sheds so much. So that means that I'm basically sneezing from the second I arrive home to the second I leave, unless I take Claritin. My dad has even started having it ready for me right when I walk in the door. Are you ready to live life as though you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. 
Fast and Powerful Relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Claritin, thank you so much for sponsoring our girls' night. We love having you. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. As many of you know, I recently wrote a book, and while it was the most rewarding project of my career so far, it also came with a lot of hard work and long nights. And sometimes when things started to feel a little bit overwhelming, I needed to get a few things off my chest so I could clear my mind and keep the writing process flowing. And the thing that helped me so much to sort through those feelings was therapy. Now tell me if any of this sounds familiar. Maybe you're going through something really hard right now, a big loss or a gigantic life transition. Maybe you frequently feel anxious, depressed, overwhelmed, or just generally discouraged. Maybe you really, really, really want your life circumstances to change, but you don't know how to actually change them. Or maybe you're feeling stuck as you try to work through your past, navigate your present, or figure out your future. Friend, if you can relate to any of this, you're not alone. I've been there, and therapy has been the thing that has helped me more than anything else with all of this. In the last 10 years or so, I've learned that strength isn't proving I can do it on my own. It's knowing that I don't have to. I'm at my strongest when I have a full support system around me, and an essential part of my support system is therapy. Therapy can be absolutely life-changing, that is, if you can afford it and find a therapist you like and trust. But of course, this is easier said than done. And that's why I'm so excited to be partnering with this week's podcast sponsor. Our sponsor for today's episode is BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the easiest and most affordable way I've ever found to find a great therapist. It's entirely online and super easy to sign up. You can get started right away. And if you don't love the counselor you're paired with, switching is easy and it's free. If you're going through something hard in your relationships, or if you're in a funk you just can't shake, if you've been feeling anxious or depressed lately, or if you're feeling stressed and you need help balancing your everyday life and schedule, BetterHelp is an incredible resource for you. And I'm so thankful that they've given me a promo code that I can share with you to make it even easier to get started. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com friendship today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash friendship. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Jen, I feel like I'm, I'm so grateful that you wrote this book. And like all of those sections speak to me so clearly because I think it was, I'm going to get the like timing wrong a little bit, but I think it was like two years ago, two and a half years ago, I started to get really curious about my personality. Like it felt like I, like I didn't totally, I mean, I've done so much work throughout my life of like discovering who I am and really like, you know, getting closer with the Lord and healing from all kinds of things. But I felt like 
sometimes I'm like this, but then I'm not totally like this. And I don't know why I respond like this in some ways, but I'm really confident in this in some ways. And like, there's this weird insecurity that I don't know what folder it fits in. And Mm. so I started to just like ask a lot of questions about my personality, which led me to like like a year and a half of like every week um, counseling. And it was so helpful. And I feel like every chapter that you just talked about are things that we talk, that I worked through in counseling, like boundaries and saying yes and saying no, and how to show up health, like as your healthiest self in your relationships, what to do when you have relationships that aren't healthy, um, how to say what you need, how to say what, how to identify what you want. Those things, I mean, how did, how to know, how to say what you need. I'm a two on the Enneagram. Um, and so like, that is hard for you. It's really hard for me. Um, One of the things that I've loved about the book so far is that you talk about, you know, not wanting women to just be bigger, um, that there are like, we come in different sizes. And I think that for the longest time, you know, I don't know that, I don't think I'm a behind the scenes person. You know, I I live a lot of my life out front and I love getting to do that. But also I don't know that I'm a, did you call mega person? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that I'm a mega person. I love it. I love it. But I think that that like, you know, there are moments when I feel like I need to have a stronger opinion about something than I do, or I need to like show up with like, you know, the fieriest Instagram post ever. And, and I'm, I don't know that that's, that's not my wheelhouse necessarily. My wheelhouse is to sit with people and to like have the conversation together. And so I think I just, even already, I'm like, oh, I feel so much freedom in that. I need to dig into that a little more because there are times when I feel like because of my job, I should have a, have a louder voice on something when that doesn't feel like my, like truly doesn't feel like my place. Like that's not my thing to speak into, or I don't have a, that's someone else's thing, you know? Um, So anyway, I I really appreciate that. It's so possible that um, one thing I talked about and and to your point, um, I sort of talked about the various containers and volume that women come in and these, I, I just made it up, but like these mega women, you know, big, big voices, big ideas, big space, big opinions, big power, and kind of mezzo right in the middle, just can go both and up and a little bit more measured and then modest, which are like our tender women, the ones who are going to be really gentle and probably behind the scenes. And there's a million gradations between, but I, I think it's so interesting that what I'm hearing from our readers and what I put in front of them was like some women have, have been told their whole life, you need to be more, you know, like you're not enough, right? You need to speak louder. You need to be this force that we want you to be. You should be more. And then other women are told to be less, like tone it down, hush it down, tamp it down. And so it's interesting. We can't win. And so we cannot look around sideways for somebody else to tell us how we're supposed to be, right? That's the beginning of the problem. That's when we start disintegrating, when we keep adjusting the dial to whatever passengers in the passenger seat. Um, And so what really matters here is that we do the interior work, which you've done, um, to really dig deep. Who am I? What is my voice? What is my space? Um, Mm -hmm. What is my place? At what volume am I the most effective and, and comfortable? And so that's our work. Nobody can do that for us. Nobody can tell us what to do. Um, well they can, but we're the ones that control that. And so unfortunately that's how all of fierce is. All of fierce is our own work. We can't wait around for somebody else to do it or for everybody else to finally get on board with how we are. Right. Um, and so it's ours. 
to say, no, this is who I am. This is what I do. This is how I lead. And this is how I am going to walk my steps on this earth and hold the line. It's ours to hold, um, which isn't always easy, right. but, um, but we, it's possible. Like my friend said, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. Yep. Yes. Yep. Oh, it's so good. So one of the things, you know, and you've talked about this a little bit, but, uh, so one of the, one of the places where I think it can be the hardest to really like live out who it stinks because it's like who God made us to be, you know, one of the places where it's hardest to be who God created us to be is sometimes in the church. It feels like there's this mold that there, that we're supposed to fit as Christian women. Can you like, I don't know, what do you tell us something when we don't feel like we fit that mold? What do we do? Oh man. Oh gosh. Right. Not only did we just as girls universally receive a template as kids um, about what good girls sounded like and looked like and behaved like. But then if you kind of grew up in a faith space, as I did, there's a whole nother layer on top of it. I mean, it is a double down on what is appropriate and what is even permissible. And so like for me, if I could go back a minute ago and told you my tension was inside evangelical subculture, particularly for women, because there's a completely different set of rules for the men. Yes. And so there were so many parts of that where I just felt like I had hands over my mouth that I, I could not use my brain. I could not use my, my thoughts. I could not use my soul. I cannot use my voice. And, um, and it was rubbing. Like, for example, in the world that I grew up in, women had, they did not have the possibility of exercising their own spiritual authority. It just wasn't. The men were in charge. And not only were they in charge, they were in charge because the Bible said, according to that interpretation. And so I would, had I stayed, I would have been unable to exercise my own gifts, like on the earth, the way God made me, like you just said, which is something I've known about myself since I was young, that I I was spiritually powerful and that I had some prophetic gifts and I had a special brand of spiritual authority that God gave me. Well, good luck that I just buried it in the ground like a buried talent. That's what I would have had to have done to maintain belonging. And so I get this question. I get it. I get what women have been historically expected to, to look like inside, inside the church. And primarily that has looked like we, we are expected to supply all the grease for the machine, but none of the fuel. Right. And that's been my experience. And so this, I don't even know if there could possibly be a more important place for us to commit to doing this work than inside our faith. It matters. Like this matters to the church so much that women are able to show up in their giftings, in their convictions, co-leading with the men in their authority, um, applying their special gifts to their, not just their church, but their, the community that their church serves. I, I, it's, this is such monumentally important work that I just can't handle it. I cannot handle it. And so here's what I want to say to women listening right now going, Ooh, nope, I do. Um, in our church, we don't get to ask those questions. We don't get to embrace that community. We don't get to say black lives matter. 
we are we are not allowed um, to to push into places of justice that are breaking people's hearts, minds, and bodies. Um, you can leave. <laughs> you can leave if you are forced to disintegrate in order to belong. If that's your currency, if you have to behave according to the group rules in order to belong, you can and you should leave. Because here's another thing I discovered. Rachel was right. When she's like, you're going to rebuild. You don't even know yet, but you will. So will you. Like the amount of faith communities on the other side of this who absolutely treasure spiritual curiosity, it's a miracle. Like I still can't believe it. I'm like, look at us. Look at us. There is a place where spiritual curiosity is celebrated instead of punished. So I never grew up in that. We were not, we did not get to be spiritually curious. We had to be spiritually certain. Certainty was rewarded. Curiosity was punished. Um, And so the church can absolutely be a place where our shackles are the tightest. And so, but it doesn't have to be. And we are not just going to wait around for the powers that be to change their minds. We're not going to do it. We are going to step away from the places where patriarchy is shielded um, with scripture, where racism is shielded by the Bible, where it is permissible to harm people because of doctrine. We're going to, we're going to leave and we're going to go somewhere else and build a flourishing church. Like the place where I see women absolutely activated in their faith is stunningly beautiful. The fruit is gorgeous. The tree is flourishing. Like this is good news. It's not bad news. Um, I know that sometimes this path of spiritual growth is scary because of what we'll have to probably leave behind or lose or even ask questions. It's scary to ask questions that we've always just banked on, right? It can be internally scary. Um, But if ever there was a space where this one is worth it, this is it. Um, to get to the other side, free, activated into what I believe is the real gospel and the real work of the church. Good news to our neighbors, good news to each other. It is amazing and it is possible. There's this, something just popped in my head, like the the reminder that God is not afraid of our questions. Yes. When we ask big questions, he's, we can't, God is so much bigger than any doubt or fear or question we could ask. Yep. And and I've gotten to experience that in so many seasons of life. There have been so many seasons where like everything around me is so hard and so painful and I have no idea what's coming next and I have no freaking idea what God's doing. And yeah. so I start to ask really big questions. And so there have been times where I have like, I feel like kind of dismantled my faith. Like the way that I had it built isn't holding me up in this kind of season anymore. This is just a little too heavy. And so I have to go back to the beginning and be like, God, who are you? What in the heck do you say? And like, what do you say about yourself? And what do you say about me? And what do you promise? And, and every single time, like God has been there with me in that I have, I've never asked a question that is too, that like scares him away. And the other thing is, I think that it can be really when we've experienced, when we've connected with the Lord in one particular place or church or community, it's, I had this fear that like, maybe if I went somewhere else, like God wouldn't be there. Like this is Uh, sort of the only place that he is. And the place where, where, if there's a place where you're feeling stuck, that is not the only place that God lives. God lives in so many other places. You can find him and probably find him more authentically and deeply and more truthfully in a, in a different place. Like he's not going to leave you in this, I guess. Totally. 
totally. I don't know how many times I have to say that I don't believe God is going to fall down off his throne right out of the sky onto the ground on our watch. I don't think we're going to be the generation that finally stumps him. Like, oh, <laughs> that's the one question. I just don't know how to answer. I'm going to throw in the towel. Like, it's interesting too, historically, because um, spiritual curiosity has been celebrated in plenty of other centuries. There's something about the Western evangelical brand that is afraid of the questions because it's so constructed on power. And so asking hard questions threatens the status quo. And that's never been really welcomed. Yeah. Um, and so it's good to do it. And yeah. it's I think it's time to build a church in which everyone can can find a vibrant spiritual life. Like that gets me excited. I feel excited about that possibility. I am, I have no longer any room or any space to um, squash spiritual curiosity to protect my own belonging. Not interested. I don't want it anymore. In fact, what's interesting to me is this path for me for finally just saying, I'm scared to do it. And I know there'll be a cost. I'm going to lean in to my own spiritual doubts and questions, that actually became the path for me, which gave me my faith back. Like I was ready to burn it. I'm like, I don't want this. I don't want this church. Um, I don't want this community. I don't even want this God, this God over here that is so scary and so arbitrary and so punitive, mean, can't stand us, letting us into heaven by the skin of his teeth. Like I didn't even want any of it. And so now it has handed me back a faith that is beautiful and true and so full of love. Like I knew it was, like I knew it, I knew he was, but I feel restored in those spaces. And so don't be afraid, like, don't be afraid, um, lean in to what is good and true. And I think we will end up discovering that Jesus is who he said he was all along. It was true. It's right. Jen, when I'm... (laughs) I'm thinking about, I I think that if we're going to do this work, if we're going to ask really hard questions, if we're going to potentially like leave our church and go find a different one, that like, how do we, so the first thing I was thinking is just like this reminder that there are, there are communities that are there to welcome you, like where you don't have to be someone you're not like there, there are communities out there. But then I think the the follow-up question is like, okay, so how do I find them? And if you Mm. live in a small town where there aren't, you know, I mean, I live in Nashville, there's a church on literally every corner, you know, (laughs) Um, but like, how do you, how do you find that? How do you find your, how do you find your people? Yeah, I know. There's not one answer here. And it just does absolutely depends like city to city, town to town, region to region, for sure. What's interesting is one, one way that I have consistently found beautiful, safe faith places is through like online community. That is a wonderful tool that helps us find weird little churches we never even knew about, right? Like our church is so weird. It's small and kind of just like wonky and it's so precious, but you wouldn't necessarily know it just by driving by it, right? And so I think once you begin, uh, there's this scripture that I've always liked and it, it's, it says deep calls to deep. And I just, I believe this, that once these deep places in us of like spiritual hunger, start calling out deep answers, like we find ourselves in the world, like we find ourselves in our neighborhood, we connect through these moments of like vulnerability and tenderness. And it is so possible to find each other out in the wild. Plus there are 
really vibrant ways to be spiritually nourished, even inside community online. I know it's not the same. And that's, this is not me saying, let's never go to our, our people churches again. Let's just have online church. Um, but it stands in a gap. It can yeah. sometimes fill in a blank or kind of backfill a little bit and add to your spiritual nourishment. And so, but also be willing, be willing to consider something you have never considered. Hmm. One of my best friends is like, who on earth would have thought that me, this, she's talking about herself, this girl who grew up as a Southern Baptist pastor's daughter is now like a raging Episcopalian, you know, <laughs> so be willing. Yes. So I'll, be, I'll just stay curious. I'll, I'll put my hands open to this search. I won't clamp down on it. I won't assume I know what I need or where I'm going to go. I won't even necessarily reach for something familiar. Yeah. Maybe I step into a completely different environment and see if, where's God? Is God here? Like, how does this feel? Who's here? Looking in the pews is always very telling because we will attract exactly who our theology will attract. Right. And so looking around, like who's safe here, who feels loved here. That tells me a lot. Um, and so I just, I, I hope that we can, um, can approach this particular growth place with possibility and not fear. That would be wonderful if we don't just shove this one down into a tight little knot, but rather just, let's just see how it unfolds and it may shock us where it takes us. Yeah. Oh man. I really like that. So Jen, I have just a last couple of questions to ask you and I'm, I'm really excited about these because we, we need you on this. So one of the things you talk about in the book is beliefs. And I know that for a lot of us, we found ourselves in moments where say we're sitting at the dinner table with our families and the conversation starts and it starts going. And then all of a sudden someone brings up politics or something along, like, you know, something equally as fiery. And before you know it, you realize that you like fundamentally deeply disagree with someone that you really love, like maybe your dad, or you find out as you state an opinion that you thought was like pretty safe and, and, you know, pretty like generally accepted, you find out that your dad, just for example, like really deeply disagrees with you. Um, this isn't the story of me and my dad, just, uh, this is a hypothetical. hypothetical. Um, my dad's going to be like, wait, what? Um, (laughs) so like, what do we do with that? As family dinner is exploding, as we find out that we really disagree with some people that we love, like the answer can't be cut off the relationship with your dad, right? Right. So, exactly. so what do we, what do we do? What do yeah. we do there? So many of us are experiencing this um, and have been. This is not rare. So, first of all, if, if you find yourself at deeply at ideological odds, with people that you love, like inside your tightest family unit, um, you're not alone. And, um, it's a, it's a very polarized moment, um, time in our history. And so, um, it's so funny. I have a lot of practice at this. We have experienced this not three days ago. So, um, I come from a very interesting family. I, I grew up in Kansas in a very like blue collar environment, all white all very conventional traditional church environment no diversity anyway that's how I grew up 
And so now we live in Austin. I mean, I don't know if you know anything about Austin. Totally different. We've been here for 20 years, raised all of our kids here. Um, And we lead a little progressive justice-seeking church. So it's been a big swing. Thus, I am somebody now that is not the same me that grew up, but I'm still embedded in that family. So tricky. Here's one thing that I have learned and I continue to learn. It, It is within our power to prioritize some of these really important conversations. And I believe that they are. I believe that they're important to have, especially when they center on injustice. When the conversation is around a justice issue where people are suffering, this is no longer just a political talking point. To me, it's gospel work. That said, I I only say that because some conversations are worth having. Some aren't. Like some we can lay down. We can choose to lay it down. If we don't want to have a 12-part dissertation on why we are a fiscal conservative, we don't have to. That one does not need to be spoken. Let's yeah. put it over. Okay. Agree to disagree. You do you. Yeah. Right. Me. Okay. Yeah. Right. Some do. And so inside of those really important conversations, I think there's this idea that we have to either prioritize our ideology, sort of the, the, the data inside of it, or we get to prioritize tone and like a conciliatory way to have the discussion and preserving the relationship. But I don't find these, we don't have to pick either, or it is possible to have a really charged conversation in tenderness, in generosity, in kindness, in humility. It's very possible. Um, it's very possible to look at that person whose idea is so opposite of what means something to you and say, tell me more about how you, why you feel that way. Um, tell me when you began to feel that way. When did you learn that? Or, or what, in, what, what experiences um, brought you to that place? It's, it's possible to ask questions and to listen. It's possible to use language like, and I, I put a bunch of these in that chapter. I put a lot okay, of okay. little conversation helpers um, little phrases that we could use inside these conversations, things like, thank you. Okay. You know, thank you for explaining that. That helps me understand your perspective more. One way that I see it is it's possible to prioritize dialogue and not burn the thing to the ground. And so this is skilled work and what it requires is a cool head, like a calm and a measured heart And you know that you love that person and that person loves you. And inside of that, you can talk about challenging things. Again, to go back to it, neither one of you will die. So disagreement is not the end of the world. Tension is not the end of the world. So you have to also choose your moment. Like maybe around the table with 10 people where four are on one side of a thing and six are on the other, that might not be the moment. Yeah. We might just choose to not pick that moment because simply because it won't be productive. Yeah. Um, and so, or like, you know, you're, it's like Christmas and everyone's had a couple glasses of wine or a couple more. Like, maybe you just, let's talk about this tomorrow. Abandon ship. Yeah. Abandon ship. Yep. Um, I find that the, the smaller, the, the quieter, the calmer, the less people involved, the more productive those conversations can be. And you might be surprised what you learn. Yeah. You may hear something from that person that you go, oh, okay. Well, I, I don't agree with you, but I understand now why you think that. Yeah. Or I see that this experience like deeply shaped your, your, your opinion on this. Um, again, it doesn't mean this always goes well. 
And it doesn't mean that you resolve it to a place of agreement. You probably won't, but you can still preserve your relationships inside these hard places. Oh man, we're all having it. Everyone's having these conversations right now. Everybody, everybody, we can do it. We can do hard things. I think, um, I've, I've been in this situation a couple of times recently. And like I said, I'm a two. And so it, so conflict is hard for me and, and it's hard for me to express. It's hard for me to like fight with my opinion. Like that's just not my, I can fight for people. And so in a way, like if I, if I frame it that way in my mind, then I can show up better. But like, if it's like, if we're battling with like facts, then I just start to crumble. But a couple of things that I've learned one there were a couple of times I was in a, this situation and I would, went to the bathroom a lot, like in the middle of the conversation, it's the, the tensions are rising and I can tell yeah. that this is, this isn't my fight. I'm not part of it, but I'm getting really uncomfortable and I'm kind of feeling yeah. like maybe I should weigh in. And so I ended up just truly going to the bathroom like six or seven times during dinner. Yeah. And it was like to just calm myself down and to just breathe yes. and yeah. remove myself from the situation a little bit. And so I found that like really helpful and not that we should always abandon ship during conversations, yes. but it just was like, it just diffused it a little bit for me. But the other yes, thing is, I love that trick. like, especially lately, it's, it's when I'm, when I'm just learning what I think about something, when I'm just, yes. when I'm just kind of wrapping my mind around it, practicing yes. is really helpful. And so there's right. no way that I could go into a really heated conversation right off the bat. Like I need to have some really, some really safe conversations first where I get to practice saying out loud what right. I think. That's also really that. helpful for me. I love that. And also I think women can, you, we also have permission um, to walk into some of these moments of, of conflict and be, and we still can say, you know, I'm not sure about that part. I, I'm still learning about that, you know, or I'm, I'm listening on, on that right now. I, I don't exactly know what I think, or I, I'm just now learning that. So I don't, I don't know if I can weigh in on it, like in an intelligent way yet. We could say that, you know, we don't have to be experts in every single capacity. Um, and so I actually find also that that humility and that sense of um, vulnerability is a, is a wonderful tool to keep conversation open. Um, it's, it's more when we come in like a wrecking ball, um, just, just pounding everything into the ground that that's probably going to end the conversation prematurely, but holding open, like, a little bit of a tender heart toward even a really important issue that we feel strongly on invites more. It invites more conversation. It, it doesn't necessarily um, signal to that other person that this is going to cause an immediate disconnection between us. And so if we can protect a little bit of the connection, then we're a little bit more free to really discuss the stuff. Yeah. But again, <laughs> sometimes this goes terribly. This is not a formula for success. Um, And we have to know when a conversation has um, gone past its prime, when it has devolved into um, absolute unproductive space and it needs to be tabled. And we can say, this matters to me, but you also matter to me. And so I wonder if we can just sort of think of, I'm going to think about what you said and you, maybe you can think about what I said and I'd love to revisit it. Um, and maybe let's just like take a walk around the block and talk about like a recipe that we love, you know, let's just, it's possible to do that too. Yeah. Oh man. I'm so glad I asked you about this. This is really helpful. And I'm, thank you for, (laughs) thank you for, for giving us like specific things that we can say in that chapter of the book. I'm really excited to get there. Um, Jen last, but truly not least, would you take a minute to just pray for our women? 
Yes. Gosh, thank you for asking me. I would love to do that. Okay. Um, I thank you so much, God, for this community of women that come together virtually and listen and learn together, connect. It's just a, that feels like such a special place right now, especially now when we are physically disconnected from each other. We're in our homes and we're away from the places that we you know, generally get to love each other well physically. And um, so thank you, first of all, for this beautiful space um, of connection and growth. Wonderful. What a wonderful tool in your hands. Um, so I pray for every single woman listening today um, that they sense how deeply cherished they are by you, that you created them exactly right. Just exactly right. Every single bit of them. Um, exactly how you wanted to with great purpose and with great love Um, that they are, they don't need to be more. They don't need to be less. Um, They just need to be who you made them to be. Um, May they just deeply feel your love for them into their bones, like into their bones, that what you want for them is a flourishing life full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. That is what you want for them. You want for them good things. Um, You want for them connection and love. And so um, grab every single woman by the hand and lead her to a God. Lead her to freedom. Um, And thank you that you are a God of love and freedom. And this is all you ever were and all you will ever be. And we can trust you and you are good. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. This was awesome. This was so, so good. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm just delighted to have met you. And so I'm just cheering you on in your space of leadership. Keep doing it. Keep going. Keep building. Keep growing. Keep serving. Um, So many incredible days ahead of you and your particular work. I'm really proud of you. Thank you. You guys, isn't Jen amazing? I just love her and I love this conversation and I am so happy I got to share it with you. One thing I wanted to make sure to mention quickly is that I know we talked about a lot in today's episode. And so if you ever want to find the links to any of those things, all you have to do is go to our website. It's girlsnightpodcast.com. And for every episode, we have a blog post with the show notes. All the links will be there for everything we talked about, including all of Jen's contact info so you guys can follow her and so y'all can be friends. The other thing I wanted to make sure to mention is if you haven't had a chance yet, it would mean so much to me if you'd take a quick second to leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. We've gotten so many amazing five-star reviews from y'all, and you've left the sweetest comments. I can't tell you how much it means to me, and also it helps out the podcast more than you can imagine. So if you haven't yet, please take just one quick second to leave us a rating and a review. Thank you so much. Friends, that's all we have for today, but we'll be back next week with another episode of Girls Night, and trust me, you are going to love it. See you then.